sex ed should be its own mandatory class. Like, it should be a class. Like, it should be a class like math is a class. It should be a class like history is a class. Like, there's so much that cannot be just talked about in a week or two. The topics are endless. What's up, lovely humans? It's your host, Yancy, and you're listening to That's Exciting, the podcast. Today, we will be talking about sex education in school, specifically the sex ed curriculum in California. It was my first time sitting down with a sex educator, and I did have a lot of questions before this episode about what a sex educator does, what does a curriculum look like, and also what they talk about. Living in Montreal, Canada, it was super interesting to hear the perspective of a sex educator based in California, as their curriculum is more inclusive and covers more ground than what I remember my sex ed talk was in school when I grew up. To cover this topic, we are joined by none other than Maria from the Sex Ed File. Maria is a Latin bisexual sex educator based in Oakland, California. She is the founder of Sex Ed Files, an Instagram and TikTok page providing inclusive and pleasure-centered sexual health information to the youth. People are curious and should have access to accurate and relatable information about sex. So to meet this need, Maria shares some of her students' anonymous questions. And let me tell you, some are very creative, they're very fun, but mostly very relatable. I can picture myself being that age and being like, Do babies come out of buttholes? <laughs> so on top of answering questions, she shares her answers. These questions also reveals just how important comprehensive sex education is and where the gaps may be. We talked about the curriculum. We talked about what it looks like for elementary school and high school, what inclusive sex ed means, And we answered a question, a frequently asked questions, might I add, near the end of the episode. So without further ado, let's jump right in the icebreaker of the show, the sexual green flags. Sexual green flags are indicators of sexual attraction and that you may have a pleasurable, consensual, and safe sexual experience. I feel like the underlying like cushion for me is that I feel safe and is that I'm I'm wanting to engage in sexual activity. So I think one of my sexual green flags is that I am in touch with my needs. Like I want to show up. I personally want to have sex or I'm given the freedom to like make that decision free of being pressured or free of coercion, you know? So there's like that aspect of like I'm able to decide for myself what I want. And that's my first step in being able to be open and comfortable with a partner. Oh, another one is that I feel safe and comfortable in my, in the environment, even like the physical environment, even if it's like a spontaneous wild thing, I still personally like the aspect of nobody like in public is going to see or something like that, you know, like I also like really appreciate if a partner is very aware of that or asks like, if I'm comfortable in a particular space. You did mention the little voices. So for your sexual green flags being that you and your own pleasure, you want to have sex and you feel there's no external pressure. Yeah. 
For the little internal voices, has that been something that you have to deconstruct and like, oh, I might should I, I perhaps should have sex with this person because X, yes, Y, or Z. It definitely has. And what I find like exasperates it or makes it even more of a thing is if the person I'm with is they're like adding on to it in subtle ways. I feel like it's an ongoing kind of deconstruction because a lot of it has to do, of course, with like the way I was raised to believe like I'm I'm just here to please people sexually or things like that. So, yeah, it's a constant deconstruction. <laughs> this makes me think of, let's say you have a conversation with your partner, if your partner may have a different a difference in the desire of sex Uh and just how that conversation is framed or how the points are brought up that can make the pressure itself right exactly i've been thinking a lot about that lately actually is different like types of desires and like how people approach that it's all in like how somebody asks a question or shows up because you i don't know like you could you could feel when there's pressure, you know, like even even if they're not trying, like I think people are not taught also to have these sorts of conversations. And a lot of the times when you have I think we can frame that as a difficult conversation. Yes. Sensitive topic for a lot of people. And we're not taught on how to have these conversations. So oftentimes what comes up is, oh, you're not attracted to me. Right. You, 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 you. Instead of I feel like we have a difference in desire. I would love to connect with you more. Exactly. That's why so many of these like green flags of mine center around communication and consent and like the check-ins. It's big. Like even like afterward, like a big sexual green flag is aftercare for me too. And like so much of that is really just respecting a person's like boundaries and bodily autonomy and just like making sure someone's okay and feels good and comfortable and is being cared for. These are great green flags. And I find that they come up a lot, which I was not surprised, but I'm so happy that these are green flags that people share. And I'm like, awesome. Perhaps we know more about sexuality than the current societal dialogue. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people know what they need. Sometimes there's not like the language to describe it. Like, even just like the word consent doesn't fully mean the sex ed world. Like consent education is really, it's not great, you know? And a lot of people just base it off of it's permission. It's a, you want to do it or not. And it's really so much more than that, you know? So I feel like until we're given like the examples and language, it's it's kind of hard to know what it is you want. There's no universal definition depending on where you're at. Which what makes it tricky, I assume, also to navigate. Totally. And to teach. So today we're talking about sexual education, especially with the youth. And this is a topic that I've been meaning to break down. So I'm super happy that you're here to help us break it down. Awesome. Yeah, I would love to. I know a lot of people are curious. When they hear a sex educator, there's probably a ton of definitions or things that come up for them. For sure. Could you explain to us what do you do as a sex educator? So sex educators can do a lot of different things. A lot of them, like myself, work in a school system and provide sex education. So that's what I do. As a sex educator, provide state-mandated, comprehensive sex ed in the classroom, currently, virtually. And in California, well, in the U.S., each state kind of has different laws around sex ed and what's required. 
Um, in California, it's mandated that sex ed is provided once in middle school and once in high school, as well as in puberty age. So people like me, sex educators like me, or people who work with certain organizations um, will get kind of like contracted and go out to a school and provide sex ed. So like I'd be the person who's the guest educator that goes to a school for like a week or two at a time and does their health unit is what it's sometimes called. This is where like I would present the comprehensive sex ed curriculum, give students opportunities to ask anonymous questions, engage in discussion, um, and then I leave to the next school and then I see them the following year when they're in a different grade. You must have interesting questions that come up. Oh, totally. Definitely. I think once they have like someone in the room who's say, okay, we're, we can talk about sex. This is a safe place. Like uh-huh. the floodgates open. They're like, okay, um, I want to know everything. Some people have that lens within other students are like, I hate this. Why are you here? I don't want to talk about this. Hey. But I feel like lately the climate is like, I don't care. I just want to know what I need to know. So the curiosity is very present. <laughs> That's really cool because it changes from my experience and probably the experience of a lot of listeners that's just like oh my god the nurse is coming with either a banana or a wooden stick (laughs) teaching us how to put a condom and that's it yes yes luckily well for some places sex ed has shifted a bit but that still happens that is for sure when i was in high school it was similar to that in my specific career i'm like on the curriculum so you are also working in creating the curriculum it's not just the school saying we need to learn about this this, correct yes exactly okay so that's the other thing with like the state mandated sex ed is that there are certain standards that it has to um align with So there are two different things. There's like the national sex education standards that a lot of different states align their curriculum with because it's really, really great. It's really comprehensive. It's trauma-informed. It's inclusive. It's amazing. And then sometimes each state will have their own set of standards. So in my job, I um, am helping like amp up that curriculum, transform it into like a digital learning type of curriculum so that it's you know, like more accessible and also partnering with youth so that their voices and what they want to learn is being highlighted. It's really cool. It's kind of a FUBU approach, like for us, by us, and you can really know what their question is. Yeah. Exactly. Could you share with us what the curriculum looks like per grade? Yeah. So we'll start with like elementary school. In elementary school is when the pu- we have like puberty education. So they're Students are giving, given an introduction on like the body, reproductive anatomy. Like what is it? What if the, how do things work? Um, and what is physiologically happening when someone's going through puberty? What can you expect to go through? How can you deal with them? So there's also the emotional piece of like, what can you do? Like, how can you get support? And then the how to be a good friend piece. There's kind of like that introduction of like, what's a good friend? What do you want in a friend to really start or prime them for the relationship conversation and potentially bigger ideas that they'll be able to learn about in middle school, for example. Earlier, you said that they have two sets I talk. So one in a particular grade and the other one in high school. Correct. Yeah. Do you think that's sufficient? No. <laughs> Um, no, no, no. Sex ed should be its own 
mandatory class like it should be a class like it should be a class like math is a class I should be a class like history is a class like there's so much that cannot be just talked about in a week or two the topics are endless you know like there's reproductive anatomy there's uh consent communication knowing your boundaries human trafficking abuse healthy relationship birth control there's so many different topics so I am of the mindset that sex ed needs to be its own class. I feel like it would be so helpful for youth to not feel rushed in what they're learning and be able to like have deeper discussions about these really important things. Uh-huh. I totally agree. And also it's giving them an array of things to explore and not more ju- and not just more questions after you come in the class. Where can I find this information? How can I find this? Exactly. You did mention inclusive and comprehensive sex ed. Would you be able to elaborate a little bit more on your curriculum to exemplify what it looks like? Yeah, it's life skills. The things that we need to just understand about humans, like how to communicate with a person, but all the aspects of communication, not just like talking, right? Like the body language, the facial expressions, the picking up on different cues, understanding the different types of communication based on different things like disability or just like so many things, right? And then same thing with consent, like talking about it from the lens of it being around respect, like that's the core of it. So these are skills, right? We should all respect each other. How do we do that? We should all be able to communicate with one another. How do we do that? everyone deserves healthy relationships or the opportunity to have healthy relationships. How do we do that? We should be able to recognize when there are red flags and abusive situations. How do we do that? What can we do? If you can't do that, that's okay. Like there's also that aspect of it of like, you don't have to end up in one place, right? Like there's no pressure to end up in one place because you're learning. It's like an ongoing thing. It's much broader from what I'm hearing than just sexuality itself. I think when people think about sex ed, it's prevention. How do you not get pregnant? But it's teaching you self-advocacy. It's teaching you relationships also. So it encompasses this whole aspect of the human life, which is, you know, we're, we're bonding humans. Like we want to connect. As you said, the skills and tools that it offers, it's really for people to feel fulfilled in those areas and know how to navigate them. And I think that's absolutely beautiful. And I wish that like sex ed were like, not just a two week thing, because I feel like more people would be inclined to like understand this about sex ed and be more, um, encouraging of it (laughs) out of curiosity where does the youth learn about sex nowadays everywhere everywhere whether or not the information is accurate or helpful you know that's that's up in the air but um they learn everywhere they learn from their peers from various adults in their life or their parents or family members or community leaders, like through talks or like through, you know, them maybe intentionally teaching them things or through just what they're seeing, like play out, you know, like we learn a lot from where we grow up, like what those relationships look like. Sometimes those relationships are reflected in our lives as adults. Sometimes they're learning from their culture, religious leaders. Sometimes they're learning from pornography, which, you know, that's a little 
that's a whole other thing. And then some people, they're from their imagination or like what they believe sex is. Like I come from a background where sex was not talked about at all. And I I was one of those kids who had to like make up in my head what I thought sex was. So I thought making out was sex and then like God decided to give you a baby after you made out. Oh, yes. You're one of the, oh my God, I kissed you. I'm pregnant. Yes. <laughs> Exactly. That was me. <laughs> Same. If you know me, you just knew I had to pull up people's perception of what sex was as a kid before they found out. So let's see the most creative. I thought after both husband and wife say I do on the wedding day, their first kiss magically puts the baby in the belly. I read about it in an encyclopedia and one of the lines was, Semen is released from the penis into the vagina. And not knowing what semen was, I imagined it being some sort of gas or mist. I thought that if a man and woman even briefly bumped into each other from the waist down, that a baby instantly would shoot out of the woman. I was terrified to use monkey bars at school in case I accidentally swung into a girl. Pulling your shirts off and rubbing stomachs together. Not sure about sex, but I definitely thought babies came out of women's butthole until I was nine. I used to think that sex consisted of each person literally kissing each other's butt cheeks. There you have it. People's perceptions of what sex was as kids before they found out. So we talked about the youth uh-huh. seeking out information about what sex is yeah. and learning their sex ed through entourage, school, also online. So when they stumbled upon pornography in your curriculum, is there an aspect where you talk about porn literacy? Yes, there's like an entire lesson on It's just called media literacy, but in that bubble, we talk about things like gender stereotypes and gender roles perpetuated by the media. We talk about things like pornography and sexting. So under the bubble, there's a lot. Um, I wish there was more of a dedicated lesson on porn literacy on its own. It's like, okay, what are some messages or ideas someone might get from pornography and why would it be important to think about it as something that's entertainment versus reality and why isn't it education so we can talk about it from that lens which is really helpful and a lot of students are curious a lot of them the reality is they have already seen pornography or they heard about it or they accidentally stumbled across pornography so i get a lot of questions about porn i get a lot of questions like is it okay if i watch porn um i've read fascinating studies where they did uh focus groups with teenagers to explore if porn literacy is something that is a tool that is very efficient now and later on oh yeah that's cool yeah but what I found fascinating is that where sex ed, including LGBTQ people, uh-huh. lacked porn, then became a form of sex education yeah. because they they saw themselves represented. Totally. And that's something I like. So the sex ed that I do on TikTok, that's not associated like with my like day job or like the organization I work for. So that's where I can get into conversations about porn literacy and kind of touch on those pieces of it because- You're totally right. There are, like, while there are so many things to be mindful of or considerations for a young person, 
you know, to think about or all the like negative messages pornography might um, perpetuate, there's also that aspect of it might be accessible for someone. It might represent someone, someone's identity and orientation or even body. And that might feel really good to see that. It can also be a tool to learn about yourself. It could be a tool to figure out what you like and what you don't like. Porn literacy is very similar to the media literacy I received in CIGEP. Now, if you are unfamiliar with what CIGEP is in Quebec, it is the education that you would get between finishing high school and going to university. So media literacy and porn literacy seem to foster critical thinking. When we talk about porn, I think it's not just video. There's also pictures, text, audio, and all that jazz. Same with media, journals, blog articles. You have YouTube channels, movies, documentaries, TV shows, etc. So it sounds like both are fostering this environment for you to think critically about the messages, the messages that are being promoted and advertised, the messages that you as a quote-unquote consumer are receiving, are understanding, and also are internalizing. And I would love to have an episode dedicated to this in the near future. So this is a mental note and you can hold me accountable on social media and by email. Now we'll be right back after this special message from our sponsor, Sutil. When it comes to sexual pleasure, there's nothing I hated more than the feeling of drying out lube and the process of having to find a compatible and enjoyable lube for my silicone toys. If that's your case, Sutil is the perfect lube for you. I've been using Sutil Lux for the past two years and let me tell you, the texture is amazing. It is so silky and really pleasurable, so I'm not changing my lube anytime soon. Sutil is a water-based, paraben, and glycerin-free pH balance, that's very important, lube made with the finest botanical, eco-certified ingredients. Made by two Canadian women who understand the why, what's, and how's, they offer Sutil in the luxe and rich formats, optimal for any type of play, perfect with condoms and your favorite toys. Enhance your experiences today. For luxurious and silky pleasure, choose Sutil. What's fascinating about the topic of sexuality in itself, I think people conflate sex and sexual activities with sexuality. Right. And so just to your point of learning about sexuality, a man and a woman on a screen kissing is kids learning about sexuality. It's learning about heterosexuality. Good point. I see online that there's a lot of opinions saying that kids don't have sexuality. Mm. And I saw a post, I will butcher that person's handle, Matt 14, Matt XIV, he did a post about parents and adults thinking that teaching people about LGBTQ is indoctrination. There's a post in particular that said that there's no such thing as an LGBTQ child. Stop sexualizing kids. Can we unpack that? Yes. I hate that take, that the take of like, there's no LGBTQ plus kids. Like, yes. It's irresponsible. It's completely invalidating. It perpetuates this already like this power dynamic that exists that youth don't know anything and only adults do. And youth, they'll figure it out as they grow up or they're just thinking irrationally. Like adults might force their children to give grandma a hug on Christmas or whatever holiday because they don't think 
their child knows any better or they just disregard their boundaries. Like a child might be like, no, I don't want to. And this is directly tied to this idea of like kids are kids. They don't know anything, you know, like children know how they feel. Like they know how they feel. And when we acknowledge that, when we acknowledge like, oh, you might think you're trans. Okay, that's awesome. Like that teaches everyone and them to respect bodily autonomy that teaches respect like a basic human trait we should have it teaches like i can respect like how you feel and who you are there's no harm there's no consequences in validating a child in how they feel and their experiences whereas doing the opposite of that there are so many consequences not only for the child but as society as a whole and then also i think the other problem and i think you mentioned this earlier is that some people automatically attach sex and sexual desire and sexual activity to sexuality gender identity and all of those things are not mutually exclusive they're all things on their own like just because i don't know like a nine-year-old knows who they like that doesn't mean they want to have sex just because a four-year-old knows that they're not in the body that aligns with their gender. That doesn't mean they want to have sex. That has nothing to do with it. Matt brought a super funny argument, which is like, what do you think sexuality and orient like sexual orientation is? At 18, I'm like, ha, ah, here's my queer card. I am queer and that's it. Right, <laughs> right. There's so many people who don't like figure out or know or like really align with one identity or orientation until they're much older but that does not discount someone who's really young figuring that out if we switch gear yes. can we answer one question from the sex ed file sure yes what age should someone have sex like what is the right age to have sex this question comes up a lot, especially in high, the high school level. Like a lot of people want to know, like, when should I have sex? And I think a lot of that comes from like social pressure, media as well. I'm sure some people ask the question because they may have already experienced sexual assault, things like that. So there's that like fear. When I answer this question, like, when do you think is the best age to have sex or the safe age to have sex? I say like age should not be the only thing you consider when making that decision and when we place like so much importance on how old we are when we first have sex or do it we dismiss if we're mentally emotionally or physically ready i like to encourage people to ask themselves questions that can help them get to the answer of like am i ready for sex do i want to have sex who do I want to have sex with? Uh -huh. What does this mean for me sort of thing? And there are tons of things that can influence someone's personal decision of like, do I want to have sex? Such as their personal values, even consent laws, right? Like consent laws might play, like age of consent laws might play a role in when someone wants to have sex, what type of sex someone wants to have, whether or not they're in a relationship, if they want to have partner sex or not. So there's a really cool resource. You might know of it, Scarlet Teen. No, I'm not aware of that. Okay. Scarlet Teen is an amazing uh, sex education resource for like inclusive sex ed, really focused on youth. And they have a blog post kind of about like your readiness for sex. And there are these like a checklist of questions that you can ask yourself. 
And so I always like to provide those because they're super helpful. They really just allow you to reflect on things. Like some of the questions are, um, do I want to do it at this time in this setting with this particular person? Does this person want to do like what we're going to do now and with me? If there are unwanted outcomes I can avoid, like pregnancy, infection, injury, getting hurt in some way, am I prepared to do what I need to do to try and prevent them or access help if I need that help or access reproductive resources, things like that? Are we in agreement about the ways we want to protect ourselves? Like, are we going to use condoms? Do we need to use condoms? Are we going to talk about SDIs? Even adults can benefit from asking themselves those questions. I totally agree. It could be used, like, if you are asking when you should have sex for the first time, but if you should have sex uh-huh. anytime, like, totally. A huge thank you, Maria, for coming on the show and sharing your knowledge and expertise around sex ed. You can follow Maria on social media on Instagram and TikTok at Sex Ed Fouls. I really enjoyed this conversation, one, because it showed the array of options in the field of sexuality, and that's from a very selfish perspective. Um, although I don't want to work with kids, <laughs> but also I think it's really cool that there are systems and education systems in place that do have medically accurate sexual education, but also a portion that talks about pleasure and diversity. And that is really inclusive, simply because when we assume that, say, everyone in the class is straight, we're negating a certain group of the population of very important knowledge. And for teenagers, which are future adults, to feel like they're equipped and informed enough to make decisions, to feel comfortable, and to have the knowledge around sexuality that they feel like they need. Not simply in terms of STIs, not simply in terms of protection, not simply in terms of birth control, but I believe also in terms of porn literacy, for example, where you talk about porn addiction, also pleasure-based education. So what is the clitoris? What is these parts of your anatomy? What do they do when you stimulate them? How does it feel? It's going to feel good. How your first sexual experience may be like it's fucking awkward. (laughs) It can be fucking awkward more so. But, you know, knowing that and preparing yourself and really foster this reflection of when when am I ready? When do I want to engage in sex? How do I want to engage in sexual acts and things like that? So I think these questions and these topics and these conversation most and first and foremost are super important for your teenagers to be able to make informed decisions on their sex lives. Lastly, I'll share something that's like something I wish I knew. I wish I knew in high school if somebody spikes your drink and you think something happened to you, not in terms of the spiking itself, but you think you blacked out and you don't remember anything and you think something happened. What do you do in that situation? Who do you contact? Where do you go? Never had that talk. Never knew until Sejep. And, you know, if this happens, it's a fucking scary experience. So overall, I think it's a great thing to push through the discomfort because it can be very uncomfortable to talk to your kids or to teenagers about sexuality, especially when people are like kind of awkward about it yourself or the people who 
not awkward, more so uncomfortable. Uh, when people are uncomfortable about the topic, especially when it's taboo, but to initiate these conversations and, as I said, for them to feel equipped to navigate their journey and to do things when they're ready. That's it for me today. I would be very curious to hear about your sex education, especially in the school system, and how it contrasts with the type of sex education Maria shared today on the episode. We will hear each other next month in an episode that talks about grieving the loss of a partner. I talked to my friend, my dear friend Corbin, who have lost her husband at age 25. And that episode was filmed a bit after my grandmother passed away. So my granddad was going through grief. And I was just really curious to hear about Corbin's experience. So I can't wait to share this beautiful piece of content with you next month. And in the meanwhile... Take care of yourself and your loved ones and stay curious because that's exciting. That's exciting. Yeah, yeah. Before we leave, on production team, recording, senior editing, and sound designing by yours truly, myself, Yancy. Special thanks to Adrian Copeland for your work as a junior editor. The official That's Exciting anthem by Calder Nash. And the amazing vocals on the track by Mel Pacifico. Just